0: Hello, I'm Michael Novogratz, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, August 8th, 2017. This week marks nine years since the first Novogratzic Long-Term Tax Credit webinar. I imagine that some of you were with us that day. More than 200 people attended. Any guesses on what the topic was? Well, the date is a good clue. August 2008. If you guessed the Housing and Income Recovery Act, or HERA, you're right. That Housing and Income Recovery legislation had been enacted just two weeks earlier. My partner, George Littlejohn, and I were the webinar presenters, and we discussed how HERA would affect the long-term housing tax credit. Among its many changes, HERA created a then-temporary 9% minimum credit rate. It allowed for state agency discretionary basis boosts, and at other provisions to make more low-income housing tax credit developments financially feasible. Now, let's turn to this week's tax credit news. We have an excellent podcast for you again this week. In our general section, I'll outline President Trump's executive order to create an infrastructure council. Then, I'll have more details on last week's Senate Finance Committee hearing on tax reform and affordable housing. After that, I'll talk about Senate Finance Committee Chairman Orrin Hatch's plan for a tax reform legislation markup session after the August recess. Then, I'll share the Trump administration appointees who were confirmed by the Senate last week. In low-income housing tax credit news, I'll discuss where you can find a preview, that's right, a preview of difficult development areas for 2018. Then, I'll outline a bill introduced to give low-income housing tax credit allocation preferences to non-smoking developments. In New Market Tax Credit news, I'll go over a New Market Tax Credit compliance report commissioned by the C5 Fund. In Historic Tax Credit news, I'll share a state report on the economic effects of the Louisiana State Historic Tax Credit. The results are quite impressive. I'll close with Renewable Energy Tax Credit news on a bill to create an investment tax credit for offshore wind projects. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, President Donald Trump issued an executive order last month to establish a Presidential Advisory Council on Infrastructure. The Council's mission is to advise the President on improving the effectiveness and efficiency of federally funded infrastructure projects. The Council could be an excellent chance to demonstrate to the President how effective tax credits can be in spurring private investments in infrastructure. In fact, one of the Council's mandates is to identify ways to increase public-private partnerships for infrastructure projects. You can read more about tax credits as a potential tool for infrastructure investment on my notes from the Novogratic blog. Now, back to the Council. There will be up to 15 members with representatives from sectors that include real estate, finance, construction, regional and local economic development, and other fields related to infrastructure. The Council must send the President a report of its findings and recommendations. The group will be dismantled within 60 days of submitting its report to the president or by December 31st, 2018, whichever comes sooner. I'll keep you posted in future podcasts as more details of the council become available. In the meantime, I encourage you to visit our new webpage that's dedicated to federal infrastructure tax credits. You'll find legislation, reports, and research on infrastructure tax credits. Where should you go? Go to www.infrastructurecredits.com. Last week, I provided an overview of the Senate Finance Committee hearing on affordable housing and tax reform. I detailed what each of the five affordable housing expert witnesses testified during the hearing. This week, I'm going to go a little deeper into what Senate Finance Committee members said about their affordable housing priorities. One of the main points of the discussion was the long income housing tax credit. Committee members agreed that the Low-Income Housing Tax Credit is one part of the tax code that has enjoyed bipartisan support since the program's inception in 1986. As I've detailed in past podcasts, a bill to expand and enhance the Low-Income Housing Tax Credit was introduced by Senate Finance Committee member Senator Murray Cantwell and Chairman Orrin Hatch. It was introduced earlier this year. I'm talking, of course, about the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act of 2017. In addition to Cantwell and Hatch, five other members of the Senate Tax Writing Committee have signed on in support of the bill. Senate Finance Committee member Senator Debbie Stabenow also said at last week's hearing that she's looking forward to officially co-sponsoring the bill. She's not one of those five. She said that Republican and Democrat senators are signing on in pairs. Other committee members who expressed support for the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act were co-sponsors Rob Portman and ranking member Ron Wyden. Senator Portman called the long-embudsman tax credit a solid program that incentivizes the private sector to increase the supply of affordable housing. Senator Wyden said the long-embudsman tax credit is a smart, bipartisan attack on the affordable housing scarcity problem. In addition to praising the long tax credit, I was encouraged to hear senators acknowledge a key issue of tax reform that we in the tax credit community have studied and have been concerned about for years. Namely, the loss in long-term tax credit equity that would be available if corporate tax rates are reduced. Nova Grad and Company calculations show that reducing the top corporate tax rate could lower investor equity pricing per credit by as much as $0. 17 cents per dollar. And our report was referenced, or the results of our report during the hearing. This would, of course, unfortunately, substantially reduce the amount of equity that would be available to build and preserve affordable housing. Senator Wyden asked expert witness Grant Whitaker of the National Council of State Housing Agencies to submit suggestions for the record on how to offset the effect of a corporate tax rate cut on low income and cash flow equity. NASA Association of Home Builders Chairman Granger McDonald provided such a suggestion for and Company in his testimony. You can read it on the Novogradic blog at wwwnovacocom blog This, by the way, is a good reminder. That certain tax reform proposals could undermine the effectiveness of the low-composing tax credit, indirectly but still significantly. That's why Novogratz has formed a tax reform working group. This is so stakeholders can help lawmakers keep informed about the consequences of different tax reform proposals. If you're interested in learning more about the group and possibly joining, please contact my partner Dirk Wallace. He's in our Dover, Ohio office. While we're on the subject of the Senate Finance Committee, Senate Finance Committee Chairman Orrin Hatch last Thursday announced plans for a single tax reform markup after the August recess. Chairman Hatch gave no specific markup and hearing dates, but he did say that he wants to move tax reform legislation through regular order within the committee and not go directly to the full Senate like the Republicans did with Obamacare repeal legislation. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell also told reporters last Tuesday, that Republicans will use budget reconciliation to pass tax reform, such that they can pass tax reform without Democratic support. McConnell's statement came the same day that 45 of 48 Democratic senators, or at least senators at caucus with the Democrats, sent a letter to Senate GOP leaders and President Trump urging a bipartisan approach to tax reform. The letter highlighted three principles that Democrats said are prerequisites to bipartisan tax reform. The first principle was that tax reform should not increase the tax burden on the middle class and should not benefit the wealthy. Second, the tax reform legislation should go through regular order and not reconciliation. And third, the tax reform should provide a revenue base that meets the needs of the country and would would protect programs like Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. Now, as I said, the letter was signed by 45 Democrats, led by Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, and Senate Finance Committee Ranking Member Ron Wyden. Now, I've retweeted a Wall Street Journal article on the Democrats' letter. And you can find my Twitter feed by going to Twitter and searching for at Novogratic. In other news from Congress, the Senate last week confirmed more than 60 Trump administration appointments. Among them were several key Treasury and HUD positions. David Cotter was confirmed for Assistant Secretary for Tax Policy. Chris Campbell was also confirmed as Assistant Secretary for Financial Institutions, which oversees the CDFI Fund. Andrew Maloney was confirmed as Treasury Deputy Undersecretary for Legislative Affairs. Neil Ratcliffe and Anna Farias were also confirmed as HUD Assistant Secretaries for Community Planning and Development and Fair Housing Opportunity. Unfortunately, the HUD nominations of Pam Pattenaud for Deputy Secretary and J. Paul Compton for General Counsel are still pending. In affordable housing news, Novograd Company has run analysis that allows us to predict key information about difficult development area or DDA designations for 2018. As you know, DDAs are areas that are designated by HUD each year as eligible for a 30% boost in eligible basis. An eligible basis is a key component in determining the amount of loan composing cash credits a property could be eligible for. Now, HUD designates areas that represent a total 20% of the population as DDAs each year. And HUD uses a formula to make that determination that includes HUD's fair market rents and the maximum income of eligible tenants. My partner, Thomas Stag has authored a post. It's on our blog in which he discusses the findings of our analysis. He's reached some very interesting conclusions. Some areas will have drastic falls and will likely not be DDAs next year. Examples include a zip code area of Newark, New Jersey, and a zip code area in San Diego. In fact, Novagratis calculations reveal that more than 17% of the metro areas that are S-DDAs this year will not be DDAs next year. And more than 40% of the rural areas that are DDAs this year will not be DDAs next year. Now, understanding DDAs can help low-income housing tax credit developers plan ahead to maximize their credits and determine which projects may or may not be financially feasible next year. You can read more details about this analysis in our post at www.novaco.com. Also, you can contact Thomas Stagg for more information, including how to get access to the detailed analysis which is available for purchase. You can reach Thomas in our Seattle office if you're interested. In more affordable housing news, Vicki Hartzler has introduced legislation to give preference to low-income housing tax developers who provide smoke-free housing. Now many states already have that provision in their qualified allocation plans. This legislation would require it. As you know, HUD already ruled that all public housing agencies must be smoke-free by next August. This legislation would expand that requirement to low-income housing tax credit properties. The bill is H.R. 3322, the Smoke-Free Affordable Housing Act. You can read the bill at www.taxcredithousing.com. In new markets tax credit news, a report released last week examines whether the recipients of new markets tax credits have complied with program requirements and objectives. The report was commissioned by the CD5 Fund and conducted by Summit Consulting, LLC. It was spurred by questions from the Government Accountability Office, or GAO, and others. Not surprisingly to us in the community, the report found widespread compliance by community development entities, or CDEs, with their allocation agreements. In fact, all evaluated investments complied with the applicable CDEs allocation agreement. One of the main compliance requirements is for CDEs to offer flexible financing products to qualified active long term community businesses. These financing products must meet at least one of three flexible criteria. Every CDE in the report offered products with at least one of the flexible criteria. And what's even more impressive is the report found that nearly 60% of CDEs exceeded the minimum standard by offering products with two or three of the flexible criteria. Another CDE requirement is to invest in distressed communities. Once again, CDEs went above and beyond their requirements. The report found that nearly half of the NMTC capital went beyond this basic requirement and was invested in highly distressed neighborhoods. Furthermore, there was no evidence of NMTC investments being concentrated in or adjacent to affluent areas. The Urban Institute, NGAO, questioned whether fees charged by CDEs and investors may diminish the program benefits. The report found the opposite to be true. The report found that these fees are being reinvested in part in the community. You can read the report and it's titled Compliance Review of New Markets Tax Credit Program at our website, www.NewMarketsCredits.com. You can also read my blog post that further analyzes the report. It's at www.Novaco.com blog. In historic preservation news, we have interesting points to share with you from a report about Louisiana's State Historic Tax Credit. The Louisiana State Tax Credit is equal to 25% of qualifying rehabilitation expenditures. However, that credit is set to decrease to 20% on January 1, 2018. The report was commissioned by the Office of Louisiana Lieutenant Governor, Billy Nungazer, and it generally lauds the success of the program. The report analyzed the state credit from 2007 to 2016. Since 2007, the state and federal tax credit programs have spurred nearly $2.7 billion of investment in Louisiana, per the report. This includes the construction of 821 rehabilitation projects that were financed using the state credit. Each year, these rehabilitation projects generated an average of 1,725 direct jobs and 1,429 indirect and induced jobs, so more than 3,000 jobs combined. The report also said that for every $1 that the state of Louisiana provided in state historic tax credit, it receives nearly $9 in additional economic activity. The report examined historic rehabilitation activity in a handful of key areas, Baton Rouge, Monroe, New Iberia, New Orleans, Shreveport, and Slidell. To read the report, it's titled, The Historic Tax Credit, Building the Future in Louisiana, go to www.historictaxcredits.com. In renewable energy news, a bill was introduced last week to create an investment tax credit for offshore wind facilities. The Incentivizing Offshore Wind Power Act would create an investment tax credit for the first 3,000 megawatts of offshore wind facilities that are placed in service. The program would offer a 30% credit and applicants would have to place their facility in service within five years of when they're issued certification. Also, there's a list of criteria in the bill to help distinguish which facilities should get the credit if demand outpaces supply. The legislation was sponsored by Senators Tom Carper of Delaware and Susan Collins of Maine. Senator Carper is a Democrat and Senator Collins is a Republican. In addition, the bill has 10 co-sponsors, which include nine Democrats and one independent. Now, CARPER has introduced a similar bill in each of the past two sessions of Congress. Perhaps this time, the bill will become law. Now, the bill would create a tax credit that's different from the current investment tax credit and production tax credit. Both the current investment credit and the production tax credit are in the process of gradually phasing down. The production tax credit will expire after 2019, and the investment tax credit will reduce to a permanent 10% credit after 2021. Now, as currently proposed, the offshore wind credit would not expire at a set date, but it would expire when it had been used to support 3,000 megawatts of offshore wind facilities. You can read the bill at www.energytaxcredits.com. It's S-1672. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. If you haven't registered for the Novograd 2017 Historic Tax Credit Conference yet, there's still time to do so. The conference will be in Denver next month, September 28th and 29th. We have a packed agenda. Sessions will go over topics such as equity marketplace trends, refinancing an historic tax credit transaction, and underwriting negotiation issues. Register today at www.novaco.com events. I look forward to seeing you there. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik, thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik & Company LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novocode.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik & Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.